unstoppable, making your life count today and forever. Amen. And excited to tell you that next Wednesday night is movie night. If you've never been here for movie night, um, yes, okay. All right, David, you're on. Come on in. You got your children with you? Okay, David is going. We've got a movie and popcorn and drinks for them. So if you want to, uh, Mr. David has worked children's mysteries. He will hook it up. Okay, well, let's go ahead and do announcements. Everyone say next week. Next week is going to be a movie night. If you've never been to one, the last one we did was God's Not Dead. All the youth are in here and always extra friends come in for a movie night. And um, we have a whole big table of dinner. We're going to have taco soup, all the regular dips, uh, food, ice cream, treats. I'm so excited to announce the movie that we're doing is called Holy Ghost. It's just been released from Bethel. Um, and don't think it's people standing in the altars <laughs> with their hands lifted up. I'll show you the trailer Sunday morning, and those that aren't here, just trust me. But it's where filmmakers travel all around the world and just see. Corn is in it. How many know the group Corn? They're in it. One of the greatest parts of the trailer is they're on an escalator in a big mall leading people to Jesus. It's just what happens if you just let the Spirit be in control. We know the book of Nehemiah, his name means comfort. Holy Spirit's name means comfort. So I'm very excited about this. I want to, on every movie night that we have, I want to secure something that you can't put your hands on. Um, so I got God's Not Dead the day it came out. Holy Ghost was, re was released last Friday. It was only in limited release last week in theaters. And it'll be at my door tomorrow. I'm very excited. I really prayed about it. So next week, we'll advertise it. Be here. Let's try to be here right at 7. And we'll have the food spread. So um, tonight, we're going to continue with the book of Nehemiah with rebuilding the walls. Unstoppable, making your life count today and forever. When the king says yes, look at your neighbor and say, all you need, all you need. is a win. Sometimes that's all you need is just a little win. You just need a little touch or taste of victory to encourage you. Amen? Um, you know, um, so when the king says yes, all you need is a win. Let's pray. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We know you're here. I thank you. You're in charge, and I love you, and thank you. You're great and powerful and awesome. Thank you for wisdom, and thank you for speaking to us tonight. Every one of us, let our hearts and our ears be open. In the name of Jesus, everyone said amen. Right underneath that, in the book of Nehemiah, we see Jesus as the one who restores and rebuilds. In the book of Nehemiah, we know we've been seeing Jesus in every book. And in Nehemiah, I told you he's the one who restores and rebuilds. And you're going to see this in a way you can't imagine in a few weeks um, when we start um, building a wall right up here, and we start dealing with the wounds in our heart that God wants to heal. I'm very excited about that. Underneath that, a, a moment of driven by eternity. I keep telling you a person that you will meet in heaven. A person you will meet in heaven is a person you sacrificed for. A person you sacrificed for. Hebrews 6 and 10 is a reference, um, and God is not unjust to forget your labor of love for him. And that scripture, so let me just say that when you get to heaven, because we're running low on time, you will meet people that you sacrificed for that you didn't even know on earth. You will meet people, amen, we'll give the Lord a hand clap of praise, everybody. That's wonderful. Thank you, sisters, for taking care of it. Amen. Well, we're going to just sit right down. We're going to get right into the teaching. Um, so when you get there, you will meet people you didn't even meet on the earth that you sacrificed for. I'll unveil that a little bit more in a couple of weeks. But for time, let's leave it there. And let me tell you, when you get to heaven, 
you will meet people you sacrifice for, people that you laid down things for, people that you might have given them the job, people that you might have given them help. You may never know the people, but when you get to heaven, you will meet them. The scripture on your paper, if you can read, oh my goodness, is that micro or what? Woo, glory. So what makes you think God won't stop in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, says Jesus, he will. He will not drag his feet, but how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? That is out of Luke 18, the message. Remember last week we brought the widow in and she was saying, grant me justice from my adversary. And the judge was sitting here, a judge who did not fear God or man. And Jesus told this parable so that every one of us would know we need to keep praying, keep asking, keep coming before the Lord. Can everyone say amen? amen? Number one, what God thinks and feels about you and what you can expect from him because of that is worth far more than any asset in the world. Nothing holds greater power. And that blank is nothing, nothing. When the king says yes, we're talking about asking God for the impossible tonight and inspiring your faith to believe and ask of him things you've never asked him for before now or to continue. The widow kept coming before the judge who Jesus was painting a picture of contrast and similarity because that judge that sat in the chair of Luke 18 was not a good man. He was not a kind man. But your Abba Father is full of mercy and kindness. Can you say amen? The scripture right above number one out of the book of Nehemiah says, And the king granted me these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. That's a marvelous thing that the gracious hand of God can be upon Rhonda Davis, that she can ask a banker for something and he'll say yes when he was going to say no. Amen. It means that the gracious hand of God can be upon you so that when you ask for something, you ask for mercy or release, he can do what no one else can do. It matters what you think about God tonight. It matters what you feel about the way he feels about you. It matters very much. It's worth more than gold and silver. The enemy will consistently try to get you to think that God does not love you like he loves someone else or God does not care for you or you're some kind of stepchild, some kind of consolation prize winner. Some kind of, when I say step, I don't mean in earthly terms. I mean in spiritual terms. But let me tell you something. We have to come back to remember that God loves each of us deeply. Number two, God doesn't need us to invent magnificence. God does not need a Hollywood contrived setting to get him in the mood for a miracle. God does need it. I've, you, if you've been with me a while, then you know I have said this maybe once every year I'll say it because this, this that sentence means so much to me. When we watched the um, very, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the um, there you go. Um, I've been in Cajun country now. I'm speaking like them. Um, when we, we see those uh, Christmas movies and the angel comes to Mary, it's always like a scene off of the sound of music, you know, and little birds are on Mary's arm and the hills are alive with the sound of music and she's in a beautiful blue dress. I'm going to tell you that's a crock. She was not in a beautiful blue dress. She was in a manger in Nazareth. Nazareth was worse than any county you can think of. It was the end of the line. Someone said, the end of the line. End of the line. No hope 
end-of-the-line circumstances where flies filled the air, where unpleasant smells were going on. But in that place, Nazareth was not the center of spiritual promise, but the promise came there anyway. And let me say to you, God doesn't need everything in order in your life or my life to bring us a miracle. That's a lie from the enemy. God doesn't need your Tupperware. I always think about that because mine is horrible. And when Linda Jarvis comes to my house to help me, I always say, don't open that cabinet or you're going to get hurt. Things are going to kill you because it's all just stuck in there. It's not Susan Verdon orderly. I clean it out, but then it gets messed up because I go too fast all the time. And we feel that way about our life that I'm not going to get a miracle unless everything's perfect. That's a lie from Satan himself. That's a lie from a world who has believed too much. A miracle is an invasion on earth with God's workings, his grace, his power, his life, and his love. I'm going to tell you something. Those people that God was rebuilding, remember they were leaving Persia? The Jews, the people that would become Israel, they were going back to Israel, which is always on this side, and they were rebuilding. They forgot who they were. They forgot what God said about them. And in that forgetting, they forgot their identity. They couldn't believe God for a miracle. They believed something spectacular. You see, they had done wrong. Say, they had done wrong. And they faced consequences. Well, let me tell you something. God disciplined them. But those that came in to discipline them double, God beat the you-know-what out of those people. Let me tell you something. You ever had a mama or a daddy? I had one. They could spank me. But you let somebody else get out of line with me, they're going to warp your head. Come on. That's the way God is about you. That's the way God is about his people Israel. He may have disciplined them. They may have been taken out into captivity. But when he delivered them, he went after those who punished them too much. He went after, You see, it says in Isaiah 51, I will take the cup of addiction out of your hand and I will take it back to the source of addiction and I will make it drink double of my fury. I will take that cup of depression out of your hand and I will take it back and I will make that spirit of depression drink double of my wrath and my fury. You see, you may have gotten in your bed and lied it, but let me tell you, when the enemy comes to trample you because of that, God chases him with a whip from one side of the earth to the other. Somebody give God glory tonight. It's powerful, powerful. But they forgot who they were, and Nehemiah's trying to wake them up. He's trying to get them to believe. He gets the big yes from a king. The reason God gives you and I a yes is so we can motivate other people's faith. In 2008, Sarah stood on her porch in the rain, her life at the end of what it was. This is a real true story. Sarah, at the end of her rope, three months before that, her husband had said, after three years of being married, of her raising his children, that she didn't love him anymore and he, he didn't love her anymore and he was leaving her. No warning. He got a new apartment. He took away his three children that she loved so much. She said in an empty house, no couch, no bed, nothing. And she said, I was headed for the insane asylum. Her family was ripped from her on that front porch in the rain. She was facing on that day, her wedding day anniversary by herself. She knew that upcoming was her birthday, October the 10th. And she told the Lord, that's the same day as Joseph was her husband. That's his birthday too. God, please, he's taking everything from me. Please don't let him take my birthday. It sounds silly. A friend of hers said there's a Christian cruise going on called Daystars having a cruise. And, uh, and her mom's friend paid her way. Carnival didn't charge any extra money. And Sarah got to go on the Christian cruise. Her plane fare 
was filed on October, was paid for on October the 10th. She got up that morning. John Paul Jackson was to be in the room where the meeting was going on, the service. She said, I don't have any dreams. Why would I even want to go and let him interpret my dreams? But something made her feel like she would offend her friend. So she went in there. When she got in there, she found out the schedule had been changed by Miss Joni Lamb at the last minute. But it hadn't been told to anyone. And that morning, she was in the very room where it was in talking about impossible marriages being restored. Hank and Rhonda Davis, Marcus and Joni Lamb, and the Kendalls. Amazing people. She said, on my birthday, I was in the presence of miracles. And God was saying to me, you may feel feel like you're at the end of the line circumstances, Sarah, but I'm going to tell you something. I've got better things for you in your future. You are in the presence of miracle. Tonight, as we hear about this miracle of Israel being rebuilt, we hear Psalms 119 and 111. Write it down if you're taking notes. In the NSB, it says, I have inherited your testimonies. Everyone say inherited forever for they are the joy of my heart. What does that mean, Missy Dawn? It means a testimony is written or spoken record of anything that God has done for anybody anywhere means that is your inheritance. Every one of those miraculous signs that God does in the Bible or God did for Miss Sarah, her testimony goes on. She came to our women's conference. She emptied her checkbook to come that, um, that year as well. And the Lord ministered to her, turned her life around. But let me tell you, every miracle, every sign, everything God has ever done. They are your inheritance and they belong to you and your children. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, they belong to you. Someone give God praise. Tonight, the king says yes means that God can handle anyone. Listen, God can handle your husband. God can handle your fears. God can handle your kids. God can handle your pastor. God can handle your boss. God can handle your banker. He can handle your president. He can handle the grief you're feeling right now. God can handle right now the very person that has broken your heart. God can handle your physical situation. He can handle the most intimidating situation in your life because the Lord God sits on the throne in the center of the universe and Jesus is at his right name, at right hand and Jesus' name is a name that is above everything in the heavens or the earth. God can handle it all. Someone give him another praise in this house. <laughs> Under number two. So we're going to come to him. The king is going to say yes to us eventually. There may be things you don't understand that king has not said yes. The king being our Lord and our Savior Jesus. You may understand some things he's saying, wait, I'm not there yet. As we learned last week, denial is not a delay or delay is not a denial. It means God is working. But the verse right underneath number two says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands, someone say clean hands, and a pure heart who has not lift up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Now look up at me as a child. If they opened up service like that, I was like, please give me an exit. Who in this room? Come on, somebody. Who in this room has clean? The only ones that could come before God are clean hands and a pure. Because we misunderstand this. 
In the book of the Old Testament, when they would come up to worship, thousands of them would come every year. Tonight begins Rosh Hashanah. For, in fact, Israel's already in their new year. And then uh, Yom Kippur is coming up in a few days, the Day of Atonement. But when they would go to the temple to worship and they would come up the steps, as they would begin to come up the steps, there was something called the Psalms of Ascent. And what that was is, as they worshiped, thousands of them would come from their cities to come to the central city to worship. And when they got on the very bottom of the step, one of the priests with thousands of people just coming to worship, as his foot was on the step, he would say, Who can come and worship the Lord and stand before the Holy God? And in like a sing-song uh, repetitive um, manner, I guess you would say, someone behind him would say, he who has a clean hands and a pure heart. I mean, at that point, I don't know about you, but you wonder if that's the requirement. I'll just stay down here with the donkeys while y'all go worship God. Come on, somebody. I'll just take care of y'all. Just leave your shoes here, people. I mean, has anybody else ever felt that way when it got time to pray? When it got time to worship, we misunderstand. Number three, clean hands and a pure heart is not a declaration of one's righteousness. Instead, it is a sincere desire for righteousness. It is a sincere desire for righteousness. You see, what we're saying is this way. I mean, it's a declaration of, Lord, I know there's only one way I'm going to be made righteous, and that is if I stand in your presence, if I get close to you. Come on, somebody. If I worship you. I've told some of our people this for many years. Early church, I was walking someone out of a, I'm, I'm walking them through a deliverance, and, and they relapsed big time. And in their area, it wasn't, it wasn't um, drugs or substance, but they relapsed in the worst way. And this person was very demonstrative and very worshipful. And usually she was a new Christian and she was just bouncing everywhere. I mean, you couldn't get around her. She was just everywhere praising God and just a beautiful worshiper. And I knew what had happened. She'd made herself available. She'd repented. She'd come before the Lord. And on that Sunday night as I was leading worship and the stage was over in that corner, I noticed and she's standing with her head down. She's standing with her arms down. She's not looking around. And so after service, you know, I said, I need to see you for a minute. I said, what in the world were you doing? She said, how can I worship him after what I've just done? And I said, baby, did you not repent? Did, was I not the one sitting with you when you, as Beth Moore said yesterday, repentance is not a discipline action. It is a gift. The ability to say, I'm sorry, Jesus is one of the biggest gifts we'll ever get. Come on, somebody. The ability to say, I'm sorry, I blew it. I'm sorry, I was angry. I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. It's one of the biggest gifts that have been given to us. And I said, you asked him to forgive you. He forgave you. Now you worship him. And when we worship him or we pray to him, then that righteousness is given to us. We're made righteous in his presence because of Jesus, the spotless lamb. Only God can call you and I saints and keep a straight face. Now, I've been with the Hudat saints in Louisiana, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the saints of God. Only God can look at your neighbor. In fact, just do this. Look at your neighbor and just salute him or just say, good evening, saint. Good evening, saint. I mean, you could call me a saint tonight, but my babies, my children, my husband would say, if they judge me in the natural, she is no saint. But in the book of Corinthians, Paul begins to speak about who the Corinthians were. And he gives this list of the worst sins you can imagine. I mean, let me tell you, you name it, they did it. 
You name it, they did it. Their misdeeds were horrible. They were a virtual cesspool. And after he says everything that they have done with one grand sweep of the pen, he said, but then you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the blood and in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? So powerful. And what that means to me and something that came to me is that he goes on to say, and I'm going to present you virginal to Jesus Christ. And you're like, what the heck, Paul? Virginal? You just said that everything there was to do, they did. And now you say that you're, as a teacher and a pastor, your goal is to present them to the Lord Jesus as virginal, meaning never known anyone before. This is what he's saying. The water of the Word of God. The Word of God is called the hot water combined with the Holy Spirit. I never cared much about hot water until I had a chihuahua and a baby. Come on, somebody. And then what hot water can get out is a miracle. Here's the deal. When we worship the hot water of God, we can't understand it. Well, Pastor Rhonda, do you see the water flowing down your head? No, 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 no. You're in his presence. You begin to speak his word. You begin to bless him. And all of a sudden, he renews you so completely. To renew means to bring back that childlike quality. Do you remember what it felt like before you ever failed? If you knew the Lord when you were younger. Do you remember what it felt like when you never fell short? Or you were so young and you felt so priceless. I remember the big day star altar service. Probably one of the greatest ones that was ever filmed on television. I remember all of a sudden a little girl made her way to me and she was about this tall and, and she was, and the Spirit of the Lord was just, it, it was crazy what was going on in the altars and, and she's just looking at me and she's just crying and she's smiling. I'm getting ready to go toward her and before I do, I mean, it just hit me so hard because in my ear, and I'll say how to you how this is confirmed confirm to me, the Spirit of God whispered, that's how I see you. She looked just like me as a little girl. It, it, it shook me. If they got it on camera, I mean, I'm just, I'm sobbing. I'm, I'm, the Spirit of the Lord was moving. It was crazy, and, and everybody was going everywhere, and I was moving as fast as I could among the hundreds of them so we could get out of that conference room and on time. But when I saw her, I just shook, and I just, just cried and cried. And I went to lay my hands on her, and it's like it was lightning bolts. It was a most holy, precious moment because I don't always feel like that little girl, anybody else. I don't often have that childlike quality that says I'm so clean unless I remind myself that Jesus, through his word and through the promise of the blood, but we walk in a dirty life. We get our feet dirty. That's why Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet. We get our dirt, our, our dirt. We get our feet dirty. We get our body dirty. And that's why Jesus said, Peter, I want to wash your feet because you're going to walk among things and thorns and broken dreams and you're going to need that hot water. It's amazing when it says for a move on um, that right after that, um, on the way out, Marcus was talking to Pastor Hank and I, we were walking ahead of Daystar and he was walking with me, you know, he's talking about how powerful the Holy Spirit was. It was not how powerful Rhonda was, but how powerful Holy Spirit and anointing was so thick. He said, Rhonda, that little girl, she looked just like you. And I said, Marcus, that's exactly what the Spirit of the Lord said to me. It really ministered to me in the midst of ministering all that amazing thing in Hosea 2 and 14. It's on your paper later, but I don't give the verse. It said, and she will sing as she sang in the days of her youth. Everyone say youth. As when the Lord brought her up out of Egypt. Why that is so powerful is 
in California. My sister and I would drive down and we would, the windows were down. Our hair was blowing everywhere. We were singing Bee Gees, how deep is your love? I mean, we were singing our guts out, Barry Manilong, I write the song. I mean, we just were carefree teenagers in Southern California singing, not conscious of anything that we had really gone through. And all of us were there at one time, but the Lord says, the Lord says, someone say the Lord says. The Lord says, I can renew you. I can wash you. When you hear the word right now, it's going forth. When you hear worship songs, I can renew you that you will never remember belonging to anything but Christ. It means I can put in you whether it was addiction or some of us had sexual relationships. Some of us had fear. Some of us belonged to fear. Some of us belonged to all kinds of things. But Jesus says, I can wash you with my word and my spirit in such a way that all you need is a win. And then you know who you belong to. Anybody love that clean, wonderful feeling? Amen. Number four, right above it, let my prayer rise before you as incense. Psalms 14 and 12. I want to say this for a reason. Number four, David was saying, Lord, let my prayer rise in your presence as a continual. We're talking about asking for the impossible. Continual reminder during moments I cannot physically continue in prayer. Even when I'm sleeping, may the fragrance of my prayer stand before you as a witness to the great cry of my heart. Why is that so important? Because sometimes, and I, because we've got new baby Christians, we got mature, we got it all in here tonight, we got it all. But sometimes we make it so spooky, ooky, you know, and you got to be praying, laying down on your face, or, you know, three this and four that, and this and that, and do it right. I'm going to tell you, God loves you. I didn't walk into the kitchen to my mama. She was a godly woman. I realized we all didn't have godly mothers. And I didn't prepare a, you know, and come to her. I just walked and said, hey, mama, I do it with my daddy. You see, God wants you just to come before him. That incense was a beautiful thing. And if I can make this a table, David was saying in, that, in the Old Testament, they would light a candle, which was incense. Everyone say incense. incense. They would light as a prayer. What he's saying is, when I commit something to you, Lord... I'm going to remind you of it. I'm going to keep asking. But during my day while I'm doing stuff, I breathe prayers. But I'm also going to remember that I said that prayer over there. I lit that candle before you. Now I'm speaking. You and I aren't lighting candles, but I'm speaking. I say, Lord, please touch Jonathan right now, Father. I just put him before you. And I'm just speaking of name. I just pray you'd bless him and touch him, Lord. Heal him today. You see, I have just in God's presence lit that as incense. So as I'm going through my day, I can rest in that which I've committed to God, even when I'm doing my work. One of the ways that my dad taught me to do that, I'm going to give every one of you, this is something we used for a conference, and I had some left over years ago, that Miss Susan made for us, and it's our, our Courtney or someone. It says, note to God. One of the ways you can do that, we had a family altar, but you can make your bed that you're going to get one of these. For Hope House Girls, I brought envelopes, because I don't know if y'all had access to one. And just write to God what you need from Him. You know, dear Father, I need this. I need that. When I was pregnant with Courtney, I wrote a letter to God, my oldest, and I said all the things I wanted the delivery to be. I mean, down to the eye dotting and, and crossing of the T, everything. It was like 17 pages long. And I put it in a big envelope. And I would lay it down because I would often go by the altar and my daddy would have sealed an envelope. And on the altar, it was a half-cut altar from the old North Cleveland. He would have a letter there. and We all knew daddy had been talking to God about something. And if we were brave, you know, or if we felt, Daddy, what's, what's in that letter, Daddy? He'd say, that's the sale of our house. Or, you know, that's the sale of the car. And we would see it sitting out. So you see, this becomes a focal point of faith. 
When we see it, it's sealed for no one to read. And with Courtney, I did that. And the bottom of Courtney, of all the things I listed um, 29 years ago, I said, Father, if in your divine and infinite wisdom, any of the things I've asked, you see a better way, I submit to you. I know, we're crazy. But anyway, did all that. Well, the funny thing is we didn't have insurance. And Courtney was, um, she was not looking down. She was face up. And because of that, they had to use other measures to get her because she couldn't push out. And because of that, a insurance company that we didn't have maternity paid every penny of the bill. Isn't that awesome? But you see, sometimes you've got to write it and then say, Lord, this is what I've asked of you. And when I go through the day, I'm not going to worry about it. I know when I see that envelope, you Hope House girls, whenever I was going to have y'all all write it in here, but that just gets kind of weird for all of us. So you can do it at home. You can take a moment. And brothers and sisters, I've got one for you too. Write to God some things that you're believing for. What impossible things? It might just be sleep tonight. Maybe it's a job, you know? But when you get to pray or you can do that uh, worry, you can do a seven-day plan of worry. You can say you can write the letter. Come on, say you can write the letter. Or you can do a seven plan for worry. On Monday, you can stress out over the economy. On Tuesday, you can dread next year's workload. On Wednesday, you can number and name all the communicable diseases to which we are vulnerable. On Thursday, you can list the reasons we can all be unemployed by the year's end. On Friday, you could calculate the number of ways to die on an airplane. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Saturday, you can envision life after a car accident. And on Sunday, you can do a written record of all the characteristics of the people in your life that you don't like. That's called sunbathing on the shores of, of the Sea of Dread. Someone say the Sea of Dread. You can either pray about it or you can worry about it. Worry is to joy what a Hoover vacuum is to dirt. You might as well attach worry to your heart and let it suck all the joy out. Every bit of it. Prayer is what you do before you do anything else. When you're offended, you pray. When you're sick, you pray. When you feel like giving up, you pray. When someone you love is suffering, you pray. You can do a lot of other things after you pray, but pray first. Pray as you go out the door. Pray as you're putting on your shoes. You don't have to make some kind of woo-hoo. You can pray however it comes natural. Prayer is a natural thing. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise because it's true. When you don't know what to pray, Say, I don't know what to pray. Number five, first degree faith believes God can prevent something. But second degree faith is more powerful. It believes God can undo what has already been done. It is a faith that believes God can reverse the irreversible. Why is that powerful? You remember when um, Lazarus died and Mary and Martha said to Jesus, at Lazarus' dead, the one he loved, and said, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. You know, a, a preventative faith believes that something's not going to happen. And then when it does, we want to say, God, I mean, we all, we're human. Say we're human. And we say to God, why? If you'd been here, that wouldn't have happened. God, why did you let that happen? But, but, but second degree faith believes God. And that's what Martha said. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But Lord, I believe that you're here now. And I believe you can undo this thing. Everyone say undo. I believe, Lord, that you can undo it. Number six, because above number six, the scripture says, for they will not be ashamed who wait for me. Isaiah 49 and 23. Number six, shame. This is very important. I want you to turn the page so you get this picture till we get it. Shame is a temporary appraisal of a situation. The word ashamed has to do with the final verdict of a situation. Someone say final. Final. 
That means you, he says, I mean, this was just revelatory to that word a few years ago when I studied it because I kept seeing, seeing it said, they will not be ashamed who wait for me. But yet I felt shame. And we're going to talk about the kind of shame in a few weeks when we heal wounds in our hearts. We're talking about healing wounds, the shame of we've done things. But I'm talking about you just people when shame is people's appraisal of what's going on in your life. Oh, goodness. I'm just going to pick on someone. Um, oh, goodness. Bless Josh. You know, there he is again. Um, going through that. Oh my goodness. You see, I'm making a temporary appraisal of what he's going through. Shame does that. Shame makes an appraisal of a situation you're passing through. Everyone say through. But God says you will not be ashamed because God has the final verdict. God has the final word. It may be a while, but a shame says, you know what? You may not understand what God is doing in my life right now. Maybe you're looking in at Rhonda Davis and you're just thinking it's over for her. Maybe you're looking at Rhonda Davis and think, my Lord, there ain't nothing. I mean, when I was divorced, going to Lee, felt a call to ministry, I remember people saying, well, honey, you need to choose something else because there's no way God could use a divorcee like you. There's no way the Word of God could ever come out of you. There's no way you could ever minister. You better pick something else. That was their temporary appraisal of what I was going through. But God has the final verdict. This isn't about you preaching or me preaching. It's about God having the final word. If God has said and called you to do something or be something or be blessed with something, God has the final word. Somebody give Him a hand clap of praise tonight. So powerful. Okay, we're, we're, we're moving good. We have to walk by faith. Look up at me. In the movie about Ray Charles, how many of you saw that? The one that came out a few years ago. Ray Charles, the incredible black musician. Magician. He went blind at the age of seven. Everyone say seven. There's a scene in that movie where they're living in rural poverty. I was so blessed uh, the other night to be driven by the pastor by the place where 12 years of slave really happened to see some of the slave houses. It was unbelievable. I saw the house that we saw on Beth Moore, the big plantation. And um, they were living in that kind of rural poverty. The movie was about him after he goes blind. He runs into that little bitty slave house to find his mom and he trips over a chair. The really cool thing when you watch the scene is he starts to wail for his mother and she stands at the stove right in front of him and instinctively, she wanted to reach out and grab him. And she wanted to help him. But then she stops. She stops and she backs up and she stands still. Her heart breaking. We've all been this way as parents, our friends. She stands still and she watches him for just a moment just to see what to do. Because she knows this moment's either going to make him or break him. This little boy's got to learn to walk blind. Ray stops crying. He gets real quiet. He listens. And you watch as all the, the, the cinematographers turn in the sound real high so you can hear it while he's hearing it. He hears behind him the water on the wood stove whistling to a boil. He hears outside the wind pass through the sugar cane. I saw so much sugar cane Friday night in the Cajun country. He hears the corn stalk. He hears the horse hoofs on a wagon coming down the street. Then the faint little scratch of a grasshopper. He hears it so good he grabs it in his hand. Then he said, I hear you too, mama. I hear you, mama. She cries in sorrow, but so proud of him. And later he said, mama, listen, I hear like you say, mama. Let me tell you what faith's motto is. We have to hear like other people see. We have to trust in God and what he's done and what he's doing and what he'll do. Even much more than those who cannot see, they cannot touch it. 
for you and I on your paper at the bottom on the right, it says, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, God is working. We've got to have that kind of faith that taps in to the other senses and begins to believe for things we cannot see. Can you say amen? They had lost their dream. The king is saying yes. And Nehemiah, whenever you get a yes, I mean, you just see Nehemiah doing cartwheels down the hallway and, and getting ready to go build his house. He's going to go back to Israel. He's going to rebuild these people. I mean, sometimes just a little win helps you. But number seven, the dream stealers and the doubt dealers always come to steal your song. They always come to steal your song. I mean, they deal like, a, like a, someone dealing cards. They're always telling you why it can't happen. Here's your doubt, baby. Let me steal your dream, baby. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Don't ever believe for that. The passage that's above number seven, I want to read you from Psalms 137. Now follow me for a moment because this is very important. We're doing great on time. You see, Israel is in Babylon, which is Persia, over on this side of the room. And they're standing on the rivers they're so far from their home. They're so far from everything. This over here is everything that's going to ever be awesome and holy. And here they're nothing but a slave of Persia. Tied into this over here is all the promises that God has given them. And they're so far from the promises. Just like you when we feel so far from the promises of God. When our circumstances, our situations, everything makes us feel like we are so far from God doing what we want Him to do. And they're standing here and it says that their captors um, began to sing to them, began to say to them, sing us the songs of Zion. What they were saying is, sing those songs. You're so, the Jews were very demonstrative in their worship. They, if you ever get into an Israeli wedding, it is awesome. I mean, everybody's dancing, you know, and, and, and it's just beautiful because they grew up celebrating in their worship services. And they're in chains and their captors say, sing us the song of Zion. Sing that. You are great. You do miracles so great. Sing some of that here. Come on, let us hear you praise him here. Really what their captors were saying. When everything is not going right in your life, let me hear you praise him. Come on. Come on. You, you're all that, aren't you? Oh, can you only sing God's song when you're on the top of the mountain? Can you only worship when you feel good about everything going on in your life? They were toying with them and annoying them. And this is what Israel said. This is their honest uh, response. I've been there. No stones in my pocket. By the rivers of Babylon, we wept when we remembered Zion. What they're saying is, Zion is when we remembered how God was blessing us. When we remembered yesterday. We hung our harps on the willow tree and said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? What it meant is, how can we sing the Lord's song in a time when things just seem foreign? At times when we feel outclassed and we feel outnumbered and we're tempted to just hanging the harps on the willow tree is what you and I do. And we say, I give up. Forget it. I give up. I give up. Just doing no good. You know, this is happening, that happening. We just, our harp is symbolic of our belief tonight. This is the crazy thing. Mm, don't miss this. The very place that they could not sing the songs of God, standing on the rivers of Babylon, when God comes to fulfill the word, pre-Nehemiah, when God comes to fulfill the word in the time of Daniel, the very way that God was going to break Persia and break Nebuchadnezzar and break Belshazzar and bring Cyrus. You don't have to remember all that. We'll get to that later. A king 
The way he was going to do it is he was bringing Cyrus in, who he anointed, in the very waters of Babylon. Cyrus came in and overthrew the whole country of Persia, and then he granted God's people to go back and build. So see, in essence, the enemy was actually being used by God because they were being absolutely prompted to praise God on the very place where God was going to deliver them, but all they could feel was their pain and their anguish. What does that mean? When we get to get a word from God, we go to worship God, we go to study, we're in class, and we feel that thing of, you know, praise God, but no, how can I do it? In that very moment, we'll find that you're standing on a place that God can do exceedingly abundantly above what you could think or hope or ask. Somebody give him a praise. And they ended by saying, if you get instrumental ready, Josh, I'm not quite done, but it'll get me there. They ended by saying, we can't forget our God. We will worship him. Don't hang your harp up. Don't say your best day is done. Don't say you can't do that. That's when disappointment speaks, which is number eight. Disappoint is a combined word of dis, means to undo, and disappoint means the opposite of to appoint. So when we say disappointment, it means that an appointment has been missed. Put that word in there, missed. If you said, I was disappointed, it means that you feel like you missed an appointment. Man, I was disappointed I get in that job because in our natural, we feel like we missed an appointment. I was disappointed in him. I mean, he seemed really nice and I enjoyed his first date, but the next date he turned in like to a Satanist or something. Come on, somebody. I was disappointed. I was disappointed that that money didn't come through. I was disappointed in the outcome. What we're saying is I was disappointed that we all get disappointed. Every single one of us, because things didn't happen the way we wanted to. But the Word of God in number nine, hope appoints. Hope produces appointments for you, and the appointments hope produces are divine appointments. Divine appointments. Hope does not disappoint. The hope of God that comes through the Holy Spirit that Romans 5, 5 speaks about, it means that I can get disappointed on this side because I feel like I missed an appointment. But God says, you didn't miss nothing. You didn't miss nothing. My hope is going to appoint something for you that's amazing. This weekend, I was um, driven around by gypsies, really. The pastor of the church is the one that I showed on a Wednesday night this last year, Pastor John Skipworth. He was involved in attempted murder and went to the penitentiary, the federal. God overturned his sentence. He went into rehab and he's been, I think, clean or recovered for about 12 years. He's a senior pastor. Did you get that? In Cajun land, went from 68 to about 500 to 600 in the year and a half that he's been there. Surrounded by people in recovery. I mean, everybody, when I talk about restoration and restitution, what we believe, everybody was just, just clamming around. Tell us about this. Tell us about that. And these gypsies that drove us, and they told me they're a good-looking young couple, Tubby and Summer. Tubby, don't you love it? He talked about the disappointments in his life. And he said, you know, Pastor, we, we moved 22 times. I mean, they were real gypsies. We moved 22. I went to 22 different schools. He said, I didn't really, and he's, he's been clean a year from drugs. He said, um, I really didn't know who I was. He said, because I was never able to put my roots down. I was so disappointed in who I'd become and everything I experienced. He said, but it's funny. He goes, I went to this recovery house in um, Baton Rouge. 
And I said, and what is their theory? Because every recovery house has theory. What is their theory? He said, their theory is this. The blood plus nothing equals everything. That's it. That's bottom line. And I said, that's pretty bottom line. And of course, he believes in celebrate recovery and all that. But he said, God produced new appointments. You see, some of us feel like we missed some big boats in our life. We feel like that we... There's a big space of time that we wish we could make up. A big space of time we felt like we were a detour. And we feel like, man, if I hadn't spent this eight years doing this, these six years, this 20 years, this one year, this seven months. And God says, you know what? You hadn't missed anything. Yes, that is a loss. But the hope of God comes to produce new appointments. Everyone say divine appointments. Number 10, the more you pray, the bigger your imagination becomes as the Holy Spirit supersizes it with God-sized dreams. The Holy Spirit supersizes it when we begin to pray. You know, when I first start to talk, if I'm just talking about my dreams, listen, I'm like, you know, I'll just take Yo Quiero Taco Bell. And God says, that's not a heaven-born possibility. I want to give you a five-course dinner in a Mexican restaurant with singing maracas or whatever those guys' name. Come on, somebody. Those people. Yeah, those people too. The more that we spend praying, um, this weekend I was telling Susan, the Bayou wants to do Queen for a day. And um, they were just like, oh, Pastor, Pastor, tell us how to do, you know, because they're just in a region. I mean, I saw where the swamp people live. Um, from the plantations to the swamp people and just so many hurting, hurting people. So much deliverance went on in the altar service, so much. And Holy Spirit, oh, my mercy. He was beyond anything I could ever describe. The way he would just talk to each person, just, just people just weeping because he just knew every person he was dealing with. It was wonderful, but it's so much brokenness, so much people needing healing. And after they started hearing me talk, they, they wanted to believe for something bigger. And they said, we, we want to do that. We want to dream. We want to dream bigger that we can reach people. Underneath number 10, it says, as we age, either imagination overtakes memory or memory overtakes imagination. Come on, someone. Listen to this. This is, neuroimaging has shown that as we age, stay with me, the center of our cognitive gravity tends to shift from the imagination right brain to the logical left brain. That's why when you were a child, you know, a little radio flyer was like a boat. Come on, somebody. You didn't need much. At some point, most of us stop living out of that side. Instead of creating the future, we just start remembering the past. That's all we want to do is remember the past if it was good. I read recently about a woman named Harriet Doerr who dreamed of college at 67. She'd always wanted to go to school, but she didn't. Half century later, all of her kids had gone on and she finally got, and she graduated with her degree at 67 from Stanford University. Then when other people were thinking about retiring, she was just beginning because she was praying. You see, the way Queen for a Day came to me, that's where I was going a minute ago with that, was I was just walking and praying one day about 20, 21 years ago. And God, just as I was just praying and talking to God, God's just this idea just dropped in. You see, the more we pray, the bigger we dream. Well, the more that we pray and just keep our minds open to God and our heart, He'll even help us at the workplace. He'll help us create ideas. He'll teach us how to work with people. Or we can just start living off memory. 
Harriet Dorian ends up writing a famous book. You see, when we don't believe Ephesians 3 and 20, that God can, someone say that God can, do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. But if we don't open that up and ask for the impossible and, and just let God give us that win, sometimes a win, if someone's losing weight, it's a half pound loss. Come on, somebody, but it's a win. If someone's looking for strength after surgery, if they got one leg out of bed, it's a win. A win is seen in a situation that we thought would never be reconcilable. We see someone reaching out to us for reconciliation. Recently, someone contacted Pastor, and I, I can't go into this, and I will not go into this, seeking restoration with us. Sometimes all we need is a little bit of a win. Someone to reach out with an olive leaf, someone in a situation, we need just a little extra $5. We need strength when we get up in the morning because listen, we can go after dreams that don't require prayer and don't require any belief. And the God who can do immeasurably more than our right brain can imagine is supplanted by a lowercase G-O-D who fits within the logical restraints of our left brain. Nothing honors God more than asking the King of glory for the impossible. Nehemiah began to dream. He began to imagine. He began to pray. You see, it's not the day that you're the tombstone that you die. It's the day that you stop dreaming. The box underneath number 10 says, but God's not finished. He's waiting around to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. God takes the time to do everything right. Everything. Someone say everything. Those who wait for Him are the blessed ones. The Message Bible says. Underneath that it says, The day will come when I will do them all the good that I have promised them. Jeremiah 33 and 13. I want you to say the day will come that He will do me all the good He has promised me. As long as I'm falling in after Him. As long as I'm doing my best. As long as I continue to repent. As long as I continue to try to do the will of God, whatever that looks like for me, and be obedient, my heart reaching the right way. The dreams we want to dream are tangible. The reason people read romance novels, they don't want a real relationship. They don't. A real relationship's work. Can I get an amen? amen. Reason people watch reality TV, because they don't want to really have to deal with people. It's easier to sit your backside on a lazy boy. Come on, somebody, and watch somebody else live a life. We, we dream. We, that's why people fall in love with movie stars. That's unattainable. That is unattainable. But it's easy because that person's always at a distance, so he never smells bad. Come on, someone. He never speaks a bad word to you. And he's just, oh, my Lord, I'm so crazy about him. You don't even know him. But we're so silly like that. Instead of, Lord, I want a real world, even if it's messy. I want a real world with real people with real things going on. I want a real situation. That's why we always look to move or some pipeline dream of doing something else and somewhere this or that or that because we're not doing it because what we're doing sometimes or what you know we're living with people is hard. But we have to continue to dream. Look at your neighbor and say, continue to dream. Okay, I want you to look down and read what's above number 11. I'll read it out loud if you read it silently. This is such a beautiful passage. This is about the people of God when they got back and rebuilt Jerusalem. When the Lord restored his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. 
And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Look up at me. Don't you stop till others say about you what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Don't stop. Don't stop until you get what God is going to do for you. Don't stop until other people are required and they have to. Even people that have hated me has had to say the Lord is surely with her. Even when I was at Lee and people said nothing would come out of there. I didn't, I didn't, I preached on some of their, their stages. They've said in my altar services, I didn't say, yeah, 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 yeah. Nana, nana, boo, boo. You said God couldn't use me. You know, I didn't do that because once you get to the other side, God is so, God has so humbled you and just taking all that junk out. You just know you're the Lord's servant. You know you exist because God did what no man could do. And you take no glory in anything. You take no hoopla because you know only God could have done that. Let me tell you, for everyone in this room, if you think about the last thing, I can just remember the last thing that God did. He's done so much, but I'm not going to say it, but the last thing that God did that just, whoo, He just flipped tables at the last minute. He just marched into the middle of so much chaos. I remember what it felt like. I remember leaving Walmart and wanted to pick the greeter up on my shoulders and run through the parking lot, even though he was six feet tall. I remember I smiled at him like a crazy person, but I remember what it felt like. And I remember, and on the days that we cannot sense him, I sense him today, but on the days that we can't, we remember what the last time felt like when the Lord did what we could not believe he did for us. He had mercy, we did not deserve the mercy. He gave us the 17th chance, can I get an amen? And we'd already had 14. Don't stop to get to the point where others say, what amazing things the Lord has done for Susan. The Lord must be with us. Oh, yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Someone say, restore our fortunes. In a few weeks, I'm going to teach you about restitution and restoration. You're going to be so full of faith. But the psalmist says, restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Now, the streams they're speaking about is Negev. And it's a flood tide. Think Katrina. It's a flood tide. What they were saying is, is that flood tide when you release it, Lord, and it comes into the desert. Restore our fortunes so it comes so fast and it comes so wildly. I saw someone the other day and they said, oh my, you know, my goodness, it's so awesome to see you. I said, awesome to see you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Things have taken off in such a good way. I haven't had time to connect with you. You know what? That ought to be. Ought to be. After a long time of you riding a downhill slope, when God turns the corner and you start going up the hill and things start looking up, going up, happening so fast that before you know it, bam, 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 the Lord starts bringing blessings and fortunes to you that you would have never believed in your dark hour. And then you say, the Lord has done amazing things for us. Somebody give him praise. Okay, we're going we're gonna to end on this note. So when the king says yes, all you need, hold on. All you need, I'm going to finish number 11, but all you need is one yes from the Lord to just put a little, put a little something in you. All you need is to see a little bit of some encouragement. All you need is to see a, one prayer go through. Every time the girls get an overturning court, we're just like, woo! You know, every time it doesn't go the way people say it's going to go, we're like, woo! And it just builds our faith to ask for the next thing. You see? Hope is believing that God is working everything for us right now. Hope is believing God loves us and He's going to take care of us right now. Hope is believing we're in the center of God's will so we can have peace and joy right now. Hope is believing God is with us no matter what trial. So you see, all you need is a yes. You just need one little win because a yes is coming. Say to your neighbor, a yes is coming. And the beautiful thing about it 
that's so powerful. Listen to this. Whoa, forgot that. Okay, we're good. I can do this in three minutes and then we'll close. We'll be ahead of the game because I'm going to close real fast. A pastor is gone out of town with our mechanics. They took him on a two-day discipleship fishing trip. <laughs> so um, that, that is a fun story he'll have to tell you about. But at any rate, the awesome thing about it is this is what happens when God says yes to you. And I'll give you number 11. Joseph's father, Jacob, believed he was dead. You've heard me say this. And the Bible says that when Joseph sold, when the Joseph's brothers sold him, they brought the garment to Jacob and they said, your son is dead. Everyone say dead. They gave him a piece of garment. It had holes all in it. And they said an animal tore him to pieces. He's dead. His blood is on. They even splattered the animal's blood. Joseph was not dead, Kimberly. Joseph had been taken by some Egyptians, actually some Ishmaelites, and was on his way to Egypt, on his way to his destiny. But Jacob didn't know that. This was his beloved son. And Jacob said, my son is dead. And I'm going to go to my grave in mourning. Someone say mourning. So he quoted that. Listen. Think about the horrible nightmares he had. Think about some of your nightmares that are not real. And he saw on the canvas of that dream an animal tearing Joseph limb by limb by limb, Pastor Todd. But the dream wasn't true. Joseph had never been attacked by an animal. Are you following me? The nightmares that the enemy is giving you right now, they are from hell in the name of Jesus. And they are not true. The things that he puts, sometimes he sins. The Bible says in Psalms 91, I will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by night. Sometimes those nightmares that come to us, they're just to throw you off your game. Nightmares of past things. Nightmares of things going to happen to your kids. Unless you have a spiritual gift of dreams and you know God gave it to pray that it won't happen. So watch this. So he spends all these years completely convinced, say it with me, completely convinced, but what? Completely wrong. I just talked in this group. Completely convinced, but completely wrong. He's convinced. What are you and I convinced of right now that we have already landed at some resolution, at some decisions, and not giving God the space to do what God can do? What have you already landed at and said, well, that's just the way it's going to be, and that's just, that's just it. It's just, it's, it's, it's done. See, Jacob thought he was dead. This is what the Bible says in the book of Genesis and 45, 28. You can read it later. It says that when Jacob's sons came back from Egypt after 16 years, they went to get grain. Can't retell that story. But they went to Egypt to get grain. They didn't know Joseph was, was still alive either. But he was ruling in Egypt. And when they came back and they said to Jacob, Jacob, your son is alive. Joseph is alive. He is not dead. This is so amazing. The Bible says that the spirit of life revived Jacob. And one translation said, and he began to dream again. For years he'd been convinced there was no future. For years he'd been convinced there was no hope. For years he said, I'm going to grave in mourning. But all of a sudden God shows him that his son is alive and he begins to dream. All you need is one more yes. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to, I want you to feel in this word, but, but, but stay with me because I got to teach number 11 before we pray. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled. Now look up at me. This is important in closing. A longing fulfilled. Listen, we all long for things. It's a tree of life. There is a tree of life that Revelation talks about that's going to be in heaven. And it's going to be the ultimate longing of all of us. That is, that's we long for a better body. Can I get an amen from any woman in the house? 
It don't matter what we do to ourselves. We've seen some of them. Plastic, everything, by the time 90, it's going to look, it's going to look what it's going to look like. We long for things. It's not the tree of life, but it's a piece of the tree of life. When a longing is fulfilled, it's a taste of heaven. That's why it said when God answers our prayers, we get so excited. We feel so encouraged. We feel so yes, and we feel a little victory, and we know God has done something. That's why it's a piece of that which is to come. It's not the total amount, but it's a piece of that tree of life. It's a piece of what be. And what God says is, that's something I've given you so you can taste of that which is going to be complete. But in life, every time a desire gets fulfilled, you're going to see when the king says yes, you're going to feel like giving me a praise. Come on, give him a praise tonight and we're done. Come on, somebody give him a praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.